Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the fifth installment of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. The year 2020 has been, well, for lack of a better term, infamous. Not only has the world been going through crazy changes that we never thought we would have to see, but the MLB and other sports have had to follow suit. Older baseball fans and really fans that have been around the sport for a while have also had a pretty difficult past few months as six Hall of Fame players have all passed away within weeks of each other. Now I say weeks because all six of these Hall of Famers passed away in the span of about three months. At the end of last episode, I said that I would go over the illustrious careers of Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, and Alkaline. Since that episode release, Joe Morgan, maybe one of the best second basemen in baseball history, and Whitey Ford, the six-time world champion, both passed away. Only 10 days separated these two, and I think seeing the world as it is is really taking a toll on these incredible Hall of Fame athletes. Now, many people have said it before, and I'll say it again. Can it just be 2021 already? Anyway, I felt that I couldn't do all six of these players justice in 15 minutes, so I decided to split this up into two parts, with part two coming next week. So this week, we'll focus on Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, and Lou Brock, and have Alkaline, Joe Morgan, and Whitey Ford headline the next episode. So, here we go. We'll start off with Tom Seaver, who was also known as Tom Terrific. Now, not only did he hurl his way to 311 career wins, which, by the way, is 18th on the all-time list, but he had the ability to completely turn around any team he played for. Seaver is most notably known for his time with the Mets. Although, he played with the Reds and the White Sox and the Red Sox before he retired in 1986. Since the Mets started, they've been a bit of a laughingstock. In 1962, for their inaugural season, they lost 120 games. The next four seasons weren't very different, with them finishing with 111 losses, then 109 losses, then 112 losses, and then 95 losses in 1966. Now, it might have been hard for their fan base, but at the end of the day, they stayed loyal and they gave the Mets the nickname the Lovable Losers. Well, that was all before Tom Seaver came. In 1967, Seaver went 16 for 13 with a 276 ERA, which was enough for an MVP award consideration, as well as an all-star appearance and, of course, the Rookie of the Year award. The team still finished 73-89, and 89, but they were becoming dangerously close to becoming something really special. It only took one more year, and by the time 1969 rolled around, Seaver and the Mets wanted to run a miracle. Now keep in mind, in the first seven seasons for the Mets, they had never finished higher than 9th or 10th place in the division. The 1969 season was known as the miracle season because at heart it really was. The Mets overcame some difficulties in the first half of the season while 
every single one of the other division leaders had their difficulties later in the season. Tom Seaver had another breakout year, going 25-7 with a 2.21 ERA, earning him his third All-Star appearance in three years, his first Cy Young Award, and his second MVP award consideration. This performance led the Mets to their first ever World Series championship, just three years after he came to the team. Let me just say, I could have put this season in last week's episode as well, because the Mets went 32-10 in the last part of the season to win their division title. And they didn't just win the division title, they swept the division title. They ended up getting first place in the division by eight games. Now, I've been throwing a lot of awards around because Tom Seaver had a full trophy case. He made 12 all-star appearances throughout his career. He was a three-time Cy Young Award winner, which, by the way, he was in the running for 10 times during his career, and was also a considerable MVP honorable mention another 10 times. I mean, his career stats are even more impressive than that. Seaver is sixth on the all-time list in strikeouts, with 3,640 strikeouts. There's only 18 players with above 3,000 strikeouts, and only half of those have 3,500 strikeouts or above. Seaver also finished his career with a 2.86 ERA. Not bad for a three-time ERA title winner. The outstandingly smooth delivery from Seaver also earned him one no-hitter in 1978 during his stint with the Reds. After his 20-season-long career, Seaver was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1992, earning 98.8% of the vote. Next, we have the amazing and often pretty controversial Bob Gibson. It's pretty hard to explain what I mean by that without really explaining some stories. Possibly my favorite story has to do with Pete LeCocq, a first baseman with the Cubs at the time. When he first met Gibson, LeCocq came up to the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning behind in the ball game 3-2 and with a runner on second and third base. Now, since LeCocq was a rookie at the time, Gibson wanted to pitch to him. He could have just walked him on the first base, but he wanted to pitch to him. On the first pitch, LeCocq got a base hit, scoring both runs, and they ended up winning the game. Three weeks later, they met again, and everyone in the Cubs' dugout knew what was going to happen. One of the players in the dugout actually hid all of the bats and told LeCocq to go make history by going up to bat without a bat because he knew what was going to happen, and they were right. First pitch that LeCocq saw from Gibson hit him. Second at bat, Gibson hit him again, pretty much in the exact same location. I mean, he had completely remembered that hit from three weeks ago that won the ballgame. But this story really just keeps getting better. In 1975, Gibson had announced his retirement, and after celebrations and stuff, he came into the ninth inning for his final appearance in the MLB. The game was tied at six apiece, and with two away, LeCocq came to the plate once again. On a 3-2 count, LeCocq hit his one and only grand slam of his career to win the ballgame. The two chirped at each other the entire time going around the bases, with Gibson throwing the ball at LeCocq and names getting thrown from both sides. Fifteen years later, the two met each other again at an old-timers game, where the first pitch LeCocq saw from Gibson hit him. (laughs) He had remembered 15 years later. 
the two actually ended up coaching together with the Cardinals, and apparently Gibson never spoke a single word to Lecoq, even though their lockers were right next to each other. Gibson had an intimidating stature to him, and never made friends, even at the All-Star game. But boy was he good. He was one of the hardest throwing pitchers of all time, throwing on average 95 miles per hour easily, even touching triple digits on occasion. Maybe even including the ones that hit Pete Lecoq. A fantastic quote by Gibson himself that I think perfectly describes Gibson comes from an interview with Roger Engel. I'll paraphrase a bit since it's fairly vulgar, but basically Gibson was talking about throwing 100 miles an hour and the kind of strain that it puts on your body. He was talking about how literally everything hurts. Literally everything. And he said that he had one of those faces that when you look at him, you said, man, I just don't want to mess with that. And he said, well, it could be, but it depends if you piss me off or not. In the same interview, he talked about never losing a game of tic-tac-toe against his very own daughter because he just had to win. That was just the kind of guy that he was. And boy, did he win a lot. Gibson had 251 wins in his career, giving him a 291 career ERA. Out of his 17 MLB seasons, Gibson finished with 3,117 strikeouts and hit 102 batters. I talked about Tom Seaver and his impressive award count, but Gibson had even more. Gibson was a nine-time All-Star, a nine-time Gold Glove Award winner, along with being a Cy Young Award winner twice, an ERA title, and two World Series championship rings, in which he was the World Series MVP in both years. He was in the Cy Young Award running four times, and in the MVP running six times. On top of all of that, Gibson was also a relatively decent hitter as far as pitchers go. He had a 206 career batting average, with 274 hits and 24 RBIs. In 1970, the year he won his second Cy Young and his sixth Gold Glove, he went 303 that season. Gibson stayed with the Cardinals his entire 17-year career, earning him a place in the Cardinals Hall of Fame and a place in the MLB Hall of Fame in 1981 after earning 84% of the vote. Finally, it's time to talk about Lightning Fast Lou Brock. And when I say Lightning Fast Lou Brock, I mean being in the top 10 most stolen bases in the MLB every season for 15 seasons straight. <laughs> Out of the 15 seasons, he led the National League eight times. He had 118 stolen bases in 1974, which puts him fourth on the all-time single-season stolen base record list. He's only second on the list of modern players as well, excluding Hugh Nicol and Ari Latham, who stole 129 plus bases in 1887. Looking at that list, however, I kind of realized something. Lou Brock didn't just have speed when he was really young like most of the people on that list, but he maintained his crazy speed throughout his entire career. On the all-time single season list, Everyone is about 23 to 29 years of age, some a little bit younger. And then there's Lou Brock. He was 35 years old when he got 118 stolen bases, a full 10 years older than a lot of the other guys on this list. That alone is absolutely incredible. I hope I'm in that kind of shape when I'm 35. However, you can't just steal 938 bases without even getting on base. 
or even coming up to pinch run. Lou Brock was an incredible hitter as well. Brock held a 293 career batting average over his 19 years, with nine seasons hitting over 300, and another four or five seasons with only being a few points below that 300 mark. Brock finished his career with 3,023 hits, 486 of which were doubles, 141 of which were triples, and 149 of which were home runs. One thing that is absolutely incredible about Brock is with his 3,023 hits, 1,610 of them resulted in a run, with him crossing the plate after the at-bat. In other words, 53% of the time that Lou got a hit, he scored. The guy had 900 RBIs by the time he retired, never dipping below 12 RBIs in the season. Not only was he really that fast, but he was unbelievably clutch. Lou Brock was caught stealing 307 times, but when you steal 938 bases with a 75.34% success rate, you can afford to have a few lucky throws. Brock was also a celebrated fielder, where he could cover the entire outfield in the blink of an eye. He had a career 959 fielding percentage, and had 4,394 putouts, primarily in left field where he played the majority of his career. Brock ended up being the bat and the speed behind Bob Gibson in all three World Series that the two played with each other, in which they won two out of the three. In 1964, Brock had a 300 batting average throughout the postseason. In 1967, for his second ring, and in 1968, the one that they lost, he had a 414 batting average and a 464 batting average for each year respectively. Out of the three postseason appearances, he had 34 hits, 4 home runs, 13 RBIs, 16 runs, and of course, 14 stolen bases in 16 total attempts. Talk about clutch. Lou Brock finished off his career with his two World Series rings, as well as six All-Star Game appearances, and the Major League Player of the Year Award in 1974. The Player of the Year Award is a reward that's voted on by the writers at the Sporting News newspaper that's kind of been around for a pretty long time. Brock was considered for the MVP award 10 times and was voted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame in 1985 after gathering 79.7% of the votes from the Baseball Writers Association of America. To recap, Tom Seaver and Lou Brock were hard-throwing, incredible pitchers who you didn't want to mess with, and Lou Brock was so fast that if you got in his way, you'd be lying on the ground trying to figure out what just happened. Three incredible Hall of Famers, three incredible stories, and three more players to cover in next week's episode of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler. Thank you for listening.